everybody, and welcome to Pro Tour Talk with Steve Dodge. I'm Steve Dodge. Today is, oh, it's April. Today is April 11th, 2018. We just finished up the Jonesboro Open. And uh, tonight on the show, we will have Eric Oakley will join us a little bit later. Uh, he's going to tell us some stories from the road, and he and I are going to have a discussion about his career, where it's been and where it's headed. And then, uh, and then we'll bring in Matt Kruger, and the three of us are going to have a uh, discussion about par and what we should think about, how we should think about par in disc golf, and uh, and maybe the three of us can come to some consensus on where par should head in an ideal disc golf world and how we should all think about par. And then, uh, and then we'll say goodbye to Eric, and I'll close out the show with Matt, and we'll tell some fun stories about uh, about life in the Cheesecake Factory. So with that, let's head into tonight's show. Um, upcoming topics in the future, before we head into tonight's show, upcoming topics for the future, we're going to talk about uh, weather, how weather should be handled uh, on the Pro Tour. We're going to talk about uh, women's tees and the growth of the women's game. We're going to talk about partnership opportunities that people have with the Pro Tour uh, and then basically we have a six week break. We're going to talk about how we're going to fill that six week break and keep you guys entertained and, uh, and engaged in, in pro disc golf. So <clears throat> speaking of pro disc golf, if you want to go online and buy a hat, these are pretty sweet. Miles calls them dad hats. I don't know why. Ice cream of the day is vice cream minted. These guys make a mean ice cream, and I'm going to see if I can eat a pint of ice cream in an hour. So anyway, uh, the JBO, the Jonesboro Open presented by ProDiscus. First of all, it was great to actually meet Kai, uh, who runs ProDiscus, uh, a fantastic guy who in the night golf round that we played was gracious enough to actually let me beat him. Thank you, Kai. I genuinely appreciate that. Uh, it was kind of funny. He tested out the discs and then right as soon as we started, we switched out his disc. So he turns out to, he had a different disc than he thought he had, which might've cost him a stroke and I beat him by a stroke. Mm. It's hard to eat ice cream and talk. So Ricky Weissaki, Ricky Weissaki wins the Jonesboro Open. He wins by four pulling away in the last round. Uh, ironically, uh, he pulled away from Eric, uh, one of the competitors who was very close with five or six holes to go. Uh, Paige Pierce wins by 10 on the women's side. They are both repeat champions. The Jonesboro Open has happened twice, and those two people have won it both times. Additionally, they both lead tour points. Uh, Paige Pierce is undefeated in the Pro Tour so far this year, three for three. And, uh, and Ricky, this was his first win on the tour but with uh, two other solid finishes. Uh, this actually puts him in the lead in tour points. And Paul Macbeth, uh, interestingly enough, is in second. Uh, in a year when people have stated many, many times on many, many podcasts that uh, Ricky Wysocki and Paul Macbeth are having off years, three events into the season, they find themselves in first and second. So with an off year like that, who needs on years? Uh, so we've got the, the Pro Tour will be picking up in San Francisco in six weeks, and then we'll head over to Utah, then D-Glow, and then Idlewild, and then Ledgestone, and then finish up at the MVP Open. Two weeks later is Pro Worlds, which is probably where we'll finish our 2019 season. And then uh, in October, just like last year, we'll head on down to Jacksonville for the Tour Championships uh, the week after the National Tour 
conclusion, which is the Hall of Fame classic. So the next thing to discuss real quick, we had uh, seven holes with different tees. Oh, yeah, women's tees. So at Jonesboro, we had seven holes with different tees. Uh, there were four holes that had different pars. I don't want to include those in the, the comparison because I want to I want to look at how the women played the hole and just adding one stroke to par doesn't really change how you play a hole. So for the sake of this argument or this discussion about tees, I'm going to leave those four out of it. We had seven holes with different tees. We had seven holes with the same tees. Uh, in reviewing the circle two and regulation stat, um, it's interesting the Matt's here because we can have a conversation. I don't think we've discussed this actually firmly, but in my opinion, the target of circle two and regulation should be somewhere around 40%. Um, and then on holes where uh, MPO and FPO played from the same tees, in, and looking at the analysis, on those seven holes, it looks to me like five of those holes should actually have longer MPOTs. The men need longer tees on five of those seven holes. And on two of those holes, actually, the women need shorter tees. So it was interesting because um, I've been beating this drum that says we need women's tees. And in fact, on five of the holes that we didn't change where they had the same tees, it Looking at the numbers, it looks to me like we actually need men's tees instead. We already have women's tees, and we just need to make men's tees because those holes were actually playing a little too easy for the men. So uh, I guess the, the however the expression goes, the potato cuts both ways. Um, and uh, of those holes, hole seven is actually the poster child of those. Um, MPO reached circle two 80% of the time on hole seven at Jonesboro. Uh, those guys need a longer tee or they need to move the basket. Uh, 80% is, is too high of a number, in my opinion. Uh, and on the women's side, from the same tee, the women reach circle to 8% of the time. So the men, 80%. The women, 8%. Interestingly enough, that tee is in the exact wrong spot for both divisions. For the women, we should probably bump it up 20 to 50 feet. And for the men, we should probably bump it back 50 to 100 feet. And... In that way, we'll we'll make a good challenging hole for both divisions. So that hole seven is is sort of the poster child. The men and the women maybe both need different tees on that one. Uh, we'll talk with Brad. We'll make some analysis and uh, and we'll do what what makes sense. Um, but so anyway, in beating the women's tee drum, maybe I should just be beating the tees need to make sense for both divisions drum. Um, and then closing this conversation out on the holes that had different tees, where we did have men's tees and women's tees, uh, women reached circle two 44% of the time, which is right in range of what my target would be. And men reached circle two 40% of the time. So perfect. That's uh, that, that was, in my opinion, dialed in very well. Um, there was one hole for the men and one hole for the women both the men and the women had one hole that was too easy and one hole that was too hard. So, um, and actually I'm not sure it was too hard. Uh, I'm talking about hole five. If you remember hole five that you have actually have to try to clear the OB to reach the green. And most people decided not to take that risky shot. Um, we potentially need to either make the OB a little closer so that it's 
there's more of a reward if you make it or maybe move the tees forward or, or some, something needs to adjust there to, to encourage the players to go for that green more often. Um, so, because most people did not go for the green, they just played safe and then went up and down for the easy three. As a spectator, I want to see, see people going for it. I want to encourage, I'd love to encourage about half the field to go for it. I don't know what that distance is, but uh, I suspect Brad Peets will find out over the next three or four years. Um, so, uh, and then hole 16 was too easy for both the men and the women. Um, maybe we need to build a, an Island green on that hole or, or something, but, uh, oh no, I'm sorry. I read that wrong. Hole 15 was too easy. Hole 16 was a par five for the men, but that should clearly be a par four. Uh, the hole was great. It's a fantastic hole, but, uh, that calling a par five is, uh, giving 130 people, uh, birdies on that birdies are better on that out of I don't even know the number Matt can probably tell me the number the percentage <clears throat> okay last thing we're going to do before we call in Eric um, the Jonesboro open viewer stats um, holy bajolis we're doing pretty good so last year uh, we had less than 20,000 people watch the live stream over all three days in inclusive this year we had more than 80,000 people watch the live streams that's over 400% growth. Um, if we can do that again, good golly, we've, we're on to something right there. 320,000 people, that's very amazing. So thank you everybody that watched. The numbers matter and uh, maybe you appreciate what it is that we're doing and the players that are, play that are playing and, and we're actually building something pretty significant here. That was really fun to watch uh, and, and to investigate that number. Twenty Less than 20,000 to more than 80,000. 80% 80, uh, 80 of the people are from North America. That includes Canada. 11% uh, are from Scandinavia. And then we've got about 1% coming from uh, the UK, Germany, and Estonia. 1% uh, is coming from each of those places. So I'll combine them to 3%. Um, average watch time. Who's bored from numbers? Raise your hand if you're bored of numbers. All right, nobody yet. Nobody, I did not see anybody raise their hand. Average watch time, last year, 32 minutes was our average watch time over the course of the whole season. My goal this year was 40 minutes. We had not yet done it until Jonesboro. Jonesboro last year, 31 minute average watch time. That means people would sit down and watch professional disc golf for 31 minutes uninterrupted each time we had a broadcast. Jonesboro, that number was raised to 41 minutes, 10 minutes more, 25%, no, 33% growth, 33% growth, tremendous numbers. Um, I think Johnny and Terry are getting things down. I think people like the commentary from the booth. I think we got a lot of things working and uh, we're going to keep trying new things and we're going to keep making the broadcast better. But thank you very much for tuning in and staying tuned in. In America, the average watch time was 41 minutes, 18 seconds. In, in countries that had 10 or more viewers, namely Belgium, the average was over an hour. And in countries that had one or more viewer, and if you are this viewer, I wanna know who you are. In Egypt, we had one viewer in Egypt and they watched over three hours of our broadcast. Thank you very much. The Egypt numbers are tremendous. So if you're in a country that does not watch much disc golf, you have an opportunity to be mentioned in our next broadcast. Just watch the entire thing. 
So thank you, Egypt, bringing our numbers up. Total, total viewer minutes last year, 800,000 viewer minutes. Those are the kind of things that's, that partners care about, that, volunt that the people, corporations, people who want to know that their message is being seen. 800,000 viewer minutes. That's a lot of viewer minutes. This year, over 3 million. Well done. Thank you again, everybody. The Disc Golf Pro Tour is growing. People are watching. It's very, very exciting. So that's, uh, that's, that's my Jonesboro Open recap. Ricky won, Paige won, everybody watched, and here we go. So with that, after the break, we're going to come to uh, Eric. We're going to bring in Eric McCabe. We're going to talk about Eric McCabe's, uh, not Eric McCabe, Eric Oakley. That's actually a funny point because uh, I'm pretty old. Uh, I'll be 50 in about three weeks. And when I did a search on Eric Oakley, I typed in Google. I typed PDGA Eric. And holy bajolies, Eric Oakley came out on top of Eric McCabe in Google. Like, that's a more common search. Although if you're as old as I am and you're forgetful, you just say Eric McCabe sometimes. So my apologies to Eric Oakley. We'll bring you in in just a second. Um, and we'll talk about Eric's career, how he did at Jonesboro, where he's headed in the future. And then we'll bring Matt in and we'll talk about par. So, Eric, I wanted to start our conversation here. Here's where I wanted to start our conversation. Uh, and I wrote up a little thing so I didn't so I don't mess this up. Right. As I'm sure you know, uh, many people were very excited to see you challenged for the lead at Jonesboro with four or five holes to go. You were with, depending on what the hole, what hole you were on, you were either tied for the lead in the lead or one behind the lead. Mm hmm. Um, Ricky obviously had some holes in hand, but as far as the to par goes, you were right there. And if you had birdied hole 14, we were ready to pull a camera off the live coverage and pull it over to you. Yeah. Instead, you threw your drive out of bounds. And I don't know if you know, but I was down there watching that drive. Um, I'm sorry to have seen that, but I did. Uh, but you, you played a fantastic tournament. Last year. Yes, thank you. Last year at GMC, you uh, you shot the second hottest. You were one shot off the hot round in the first round, and you're on the lead card after round one. This week at, J J at the Jonesboro Open, presented by ProDiscus, uh, you're tied for the lead with five holes to go, and you finish with a great. You finish with third. You're finishing third place. A fan. A very good finish. Um, there's 101 people who would have been happier with that finish versus what they did finish. Um, so, but then, then I said, okay, so who is Eric Oakley? And I looked at your PDGA stats. You have three PDGA wins. Does that sound correct? Yes, it is. It is. One is a three round A tier. One is a two round B tier. And one is a one round C tier in which. Got my ABC. Yeah, you got your ABCs. You earned $75 in that C tier for 42 throws. So that's about a buck 80 a throw. And Not you beat, you beat Paul Ulamari by a stroke. He earned about a buck yep. a throw. So you only have three wins. Your PDGA rating is 1,006. You're, you're just, just a mere 40 points behind Ricky and Paul. <laughs> um, the question I have for you 
Are you one of our sports elite players? Uh, I definitely feel I have the ability to be. Um, uh, I've been working hard uh, in every aspect of the game as far as my, you know, my practice, my physical ability, and uh, what was the big uh, determining factor of why I did so well this weekend was my mental game. Uh, I had a really good mantra. I talked with uh, a good friend of mine, Seth Muncy, and sponsored of Disc Golf Strong. Um, he and I were just had a lot of really good conversations about visualization, and that was the key to my success this weekend. I, I had a mantra before I stepped up to every single putt, and I was, you can make this putt. Make this putt. You've got it. And I just kept I kept saying that, and, you know, I had a – I missed – it says I missed two putts inside the circle, but I don't remember missing. I only remember missing one. So uh, it was it was it was that positivity and that 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 visualization that really did did well for me. And that um, if I can if I can be firing all on all cylinders like I did this past weekend, I feel like I proved that I can be uh, up there with some of the sports elite for sure. Well, you su you surprised me there, Eric, because I expected you to say I hope to be someday. And you, you kind of did. And I was going to say that you are already. So thank, thank you. I mean, you have to, if you, when you're in these positions as, as, as professionals, we have to believe uh, we're capable and we should be there. And that was another thing I kept saying. It was like, you know what? You, you're supposed to be here. You're supposed to be here. You've earned it. Now go get it. And I, that was, you know, if I ever started feeling doubt, it was little things. And I'm not, I don't, I don't, I still feel like I'm a, I, I try and be very humble about uh, about things. Not, oh, I'm so good, bro. Like it's it's no, it's I know I'm capable of it. And, you know, there are definitely weekends where I'm capable of 20th place and, you know, more closer to what my actual rating is. Oh, my God. Our cat is about to fall. <laughs> um, sorry. Uh, yeah, and it, it's it's. Uh, being realistic, but also, you know, realistic in the, the hard work does pay off. Uh, one thing that my dad told me in, when I was very young is hard work works. So I'm going to keep to that. He uh, he did you a favor in, in instilling that in you. And uh, and I'll go ahead and admit when uh, I, I've got two beautiful daughters and uh, when they were born, I wanted to instill confidence in them. And I, I wanted to always tell them you were smart. And you are um, and you are beautiful. And those were the things that I wanted to instill in them. And they got to be about four or five. And I read a book that reminded me, actually, the thing that matters the most is persistence and working hard and, and applying yourself. Um, it's really easy to be smart. And it's, it's a lot harder to be smart and and work hard. So your dad did you a big favor there. Um, thank you. Uh, thank him. But uh, yes. So it, do you remember how you did in the pro tour season in 2016? Uh, yeah, I think I played three of five events. Yeah. I was less than a point out of making the finals. I think it was what it was. Yeah. You, you finished in 51st and 48 made yeah. the finals. Yeah. It was really close. I remember that. And I, uh, I know that I decided not to play. Well, I didn't. Like I, that was in the transition from uh, Discmania to Dynamic Discs and transitioning to traveling with Tina, which was the best move I could have made. Um, and uh, I ended up 
was signed up for Ledstone that year, but didn't play because I ended up oh. couldn't make it. So then I would have played a fourth one, which I think would have absolutely for sure. Yeah, you, you're absolutely yeah. right. I would have done it. Uh, yeah. Your best finish in 2016 was at the Silver Cup. You got 27th. Yeah. Your average earnings at, at PDGA events was $175 per event. He's about right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in 2017, you increased that to $250 average. Not bad. I played a lot more, too. And this year, yes, you did. And this year, you're averaging $475. It's not bad. It's up, up, up. And I'm including every event. I'm including the little C tiers where the most you can earn is $75. So yeah, exactly. um, no, it's, it, it, you got to do them all if you're going to, if you're going to do some, you know, uh, Paul Macbeth doesn't say that. <laughs> you have to, I mean, if we're going to go out and play a, a PDGA sanctioned round and it's going to be rated and we're going to get paid for it, it should count. It's good. Yeah. It oh no, absolutely. But he, he, you don't, you can pick and choose what events you play. Yes, that is true. That is true. But you've you've segued very well into the next concept here, which is you're on the road, living in the RV. Yeah. Perhaps living the dream with with a with a beautiful, intelligent woman that applies herself and works hard, and you guys are making a success of it. Mm -hmm. You're not doing it a hundred percent by winnings. Yeah. You're working. How are you doing this, and how do you decide where to go? Um. So. Going to disc golf areas that, um, one, the popular areas are always a spot to hit um, as we travel because, you know, you're going to have a good crowd. But what we've noticed going and setting up and running a, an event, bag of tricks, clinic, whatever it may be, in a smaller event, a more deprived place uh, from disc golf has has shown to be really, really, really like beneficial for us because those people are starving yeah. for pros and for people to be there and it's uh we've we've had a lot of success going to those places so you just got to sprinkle them in sometimes you'll go to a place and have 10 people and you'll make a hundred bucks but what mm -hmm. you have to understand that those events what you're doing is it's it's, it's you know motivating more people to play and more motivating more people to invest in disc golf and go and show somebody else disc golf and so we uh we definitely you know, try and always write it off as a win whenever we get to set up and do these things. You are you are traveling the country and planting seeds. Yes, yes. And uh, with with the right amount of water and sunlight, seeds seeds reap results. So in in 2016, you played three of the five Pro Tour events. Your best finish was 27th. In 2018, you've played three events so far. Do you know what your worst finish so far is? 17th? 17th. You nailed it. Very good. So, and where I was going with that is you, you got 17th and then 14th and then third. Uh, those are really impressive numbers. Yeah. And you're in the top eight uh, in tour points. Saw that. Yeah. And Pretty cool. I think let's just extrapolate this out. You finish in the top eight over the season because the little engine that could says, I think I can, I think I can. You are a hundred percent one of the elite players in our sport. And that is pretty freaking cool. Yeah. I mean, to even be there right now is a, is a total pleasure. And I think, you know, like that whole, I'm going to keep working at it. I haven't, you know, 
getting ready for San Francisco. It'll be a kind of that quick turnaround after Masters Cup. Yeah, uh, I know I could do well in Utah going back home a little bit, which is awesome. And uh, I played pretty well there last year and just I knew I could clean th- things up and be amongst it. And Idlewild was a an interesting one. I, I really <laughs> enjoyed it. I shot the same score at Idlewild all three rounds, but I did it in three completely different ways. It was it was crazy. And I mean, three down got me. I, it was a good result either way. Mm-hmm. And then Ledgestone, I had a Ledgestone was good. And, you know, I'm bummed that we're not playing Green Mountain, but because uh, I, I, I love being up there. But I think um, I'm really excited to come to, to your neck of the woods for the MVP Open. I think, uh, you know, vi- that was my first time at Maple Hill last year. So oh, wow. I think. Yeah, now now seeing it and now knowing what I can do and the things that I, I feel like I'm capable of, I know I have uh, more things to more things to show that course. So I think you know I'm setting myself up for uh, success with a good uh, good quick start, you know, out, out the gate here. So you are a hundred percent right, and I look forward to seeing what you do the rest of the season. Uh, regarding MVP, I'll say I'm excited about that event in particular. Obviously, I'll get to sleep in my own bed. But <laughs> addition, additionally, MVPs come in and they want us to bring the. I don't. A lot of the stuff was downtown leading into the event last year. All that stuff's going to be brought back onto the farm, and it's going to be everything's going to be in that one place. And our, we're going to bring the family back, if you will. That's, that, that's that was one thing that I heard from. Yeah. Like, it was it was different this year. Like I hope they bring it back, and everybody kept saying that. You so you're doing the right thing by listening. Uh, all I can do is try, fail, and change. Yeah, and I do it a lot. So, <laughs> um, Eric, congratulations on consistently improving your game. And I love the fact that you worked with Seth. At, what is it? Disc golf power? What is this? Oh, strong. Disc golf strong. Yeah. Um, I, I met him out at Memorial. Seemed like a fantastic guy, and. Yeah. I didn't realize that he's working on the mental side as well. Mm-hmm. He, so, uh, he a book called Mind Gym. We talked about these things because, you know, he can all he can do. Like, he wants to be able to give us all the tools because I'll do the disc golf side. He'll help with the physical side, and then another side that he can help with is the mental side. And he has a lot of stuff. Um, he had worked with uh, other professional athletes, and we know that it's uh, a lot of it is mental. So it's going to be. Definitely going to, you know, when I've turned this new leaf and, you know, figured things out, I'm ready to kind of continue to impl- uh, apply it. So I got eight here this weekend to really test it and uh, see if it's if it actually is something that will stick and carry over. Well, thank you very much for being one of the happiest, easiest people to root for out on the tour. Um, I know that you have tons of fans who love to come see you when you guys do clinics. They love to buy the whale sacks. And they love to just support you guys and keep you on the tour and let, let you live the dream. And we get to live vicariously through you as you hold that disc way down low on the ground and pull it fast across your chest. Um, so actually, before we join Matt, can you tell me, I love to ask people just one really fun story. Uh, you and Tina are traveling. It could mm-hmm. be before Tina, just something really entertaining and fun that you want to share with us and let us know about. All right, so this is a good one. Uh, so our, our the RV we ride around, it was the one we had last year, but it still applies. Uh, they have roof vents, and, you know, you open them up when you need a little bit of air and everything. They, they're they awesome uh, for, for what you need them for. Uh, the last ones we had were a little sun damage, so they were a little yellowy. So Tina 
looked up, looked them up online, bought some new ones, you know, took all the pieces off, installed them herself. They look beautiful. They were awesome. And we're at Masters Cup, and on one hole, we're on the, uh, uh, I threw a thumber and land. Um, I just landed in these bushes, and I couldn't find it. So I went. I, we drove the RV around and the bushes were really tall. So we drove the RV around and we're looking on top of the bush and I was like, I can't find it. Like, all right, I got a disc that's really similar. I'm going to run back and I'm going to grab it. I'm going to throw the same shot. So we have at least a, like an idea of where it might be in the bush. And I threw it, came down, broke the roof vent. And, oh, I, I thought teen, I was like, all right, I gotta, I gotta find a new uh, touring partner because she's about to kill me, <laughs> kick me out of the RV. She was really cool about it. I, we had a duct tape job for uh, at least, at, at least a month. And because we tried to get a new piece and then it was the wrong size and it was just a big ordeal. And it just was like, just the simple fact that the worst thing that I possibly could have done. Oh, I did it. And it was, it happened to be, she just put him in a week before that. It was, <laughs> it was pretty great. So have, have you done that trick often where you throw a disc, you can't find it. And so you say, I'm going to throw another disc in that spot. Oh, in like a similar, like similar distance. Yeah. I, I, it's worked in, man, I, f I forgot where it was. Like I threw a hyzer and then it crashed into a bush and we couldn't find it in the bush. It was like, I'm going to throw another hyzer, similar disc and try and get an idea. And it at least gave us a better idea of where the disc might be. Yeah. You know, was not my, not my, uh, proudest no, moment what <laughs> no tina says no it doesn't work <laughs> it doesn't work <laughs> i've i've had that thought but i've never done it because it it just seems silly i threw this disc and lost it so i'm gonna throw a disc just like it and try not yeah to. don't 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 do it don't <laughs> <laughs> especially if you park your car right next to where it might go <laughs> yeah it was not not smart one bit not at all did you um, take a picture of that cracked vent we should have we did not we did not it had i put i remember i duct taped because i mean you had to you know seal it off of course it, uh uh water would have leaked in and i took a nike bag that we got from an outlet store and duct taped that and that stayed and it did that thing held up pretty well with uh, a pretty sick duct tape job. So, <laughs> uh, it was, it was funny. Well, that's a good, that's a good story. And in no way offers a smooth segue to our next segment. <laughs> so, and, uh, and with that, we're is after the break, we're going to talk about par. We're going to bring Matt Kruger in you, me, we're all going to have a nice little talk. And we're going to solve the par dilemma in disc golf once and for all. And we've got 15 minutes to do it. Are you ready? I'm all for it. All right. Matt Kruger from UDisc, are you with us? I'm here. Fantastic. It's great to see you, Matt. Thank you very much. And uh, Eric Not McCabe is still with us as well. And I'm going to start this conversation because... Well, yeah, the what other called the world. <laughs> I, you know, it's funny because I talk about uh, people who have said that we should call ball golf conventional golf, and I've uh, I've argued no, we shouldn't because in ten to twelve years we're going to be conventional golf, and yes, yes, whichever most people do is conventional. So mm -hmm. uh, I wouldn't call you the other anymore because Google says that you're the Eric of of disc golf. 
That's pretty cool. So uh, I'd be interested to see if that happens for everybody else or just me because I've been researching you so much. Maybe. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it's Google's. Google is pretty smart when it comes to that stuff. Yeah. So we'll and they, they do definitely know what I do. Um, <laughs> but regarding PAR, I just wanted to start this conversation. Um, the reason that PAR keeps coming up in conversations is because our uh, conventional golf which is not, I shouldn't call it that. I should just say uh, golf, ball golf, uh, tra traditional golf. Uh, when you win a major tournament, our, uh, our impression is that you win with somewhere around par, maybe a few under par uh, or par, maybe even a few over par. But par is a pretty good indicator of what you're going to shoot. Uh, in my research, that not, that's not necessarily the, true, true, the truth, but they don't, they don't end with 40 down. They might end with... 10 or 12 down, but they're not going crazy low. Um, so that's, that's where the, the concept of disc golf par is incorrect comes from, in my opinion. And uh, that's just where I want to start the conversation. And I want to hear what you guys think about uh, where par in disc golf is and if there's anything wrong with it right now. And uh, Matt, I'm going to start with you as the, uh, as the numbers guy. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so for par, you know, this is something that comes up a lot, being that we're people that make scorecards for disc golf. Uh, people are always asking us opinions about par and, you know, people email and say, oh, this should be a par four, this should be a par three. And so we think about it a lot. And I think to start the, the discussion, I think that we have to talk about it in two different places, kind of the amateur side and the professional side. So to me, in amateur disc golf, par is a lot more important because it can do a couple things for you. Um, it can kind of help you, uh, based on your ability, figure out, you know, how many throws you should be throwing to kind of play the hole as it's intended. Um, I think it can also in increase your enjoyment. Um, so if you're, if it's a par four and it doesn't matter what the distance is and you're getting a par four and you're an am, um, you know, maybe that is going to help you enjoy the game more. I think on the pro side, it's kind of a different thing. Um, like you said, you know, ball golf, has their traditions around par fours and fives and, you know, kind of a par 72 is their goal for a, you know, a top level course, maybe a 71 or a 70 here and there. But I think even if you look at like the masters recently, you know, Patrick Reed finished 15 down and that's, it's not like he shot par every round 15 down is a, that's pretty significantly under par. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, we could talk about that all day, I think, but to me, you know, it really is two different conversations. It's the pro side and the M side. And I think it fulfills different purposes in both cases. So for this conversation, I would like to talk the pro side. Yeah. I'll agree with you. The AM side does a good job setting. I, I think par should be set for the player that's playing it. So in, at Maple Hill, we have red, white, blue, and gold tees, which are set for four different skill levels. And par is set based on that skill level. For this conversation, I want to talk about the golds only. Mm -hmm. but, I, but I agree with you 100%. It sets, the, it sets a, an expectation for the AMs. And I think that's great. And I remember when I started playing and I finally reached within a few strokes of par and I knew that I was progressing by that measure. So uh, with that, Eric, let's give you a, you, you actually are directly impacted by par uh, week in and week out. Uh, obviously the only thing that really counts is number of throws, but, yeah. but I'd love to hear your take on where par is in the program. Uh, so just talking mainly We'll talk pro tour events because obviously we're on pro tour talk. So um, the uh, for me, 
people talked about, you know, Waco being like this course that was, uh, you know, a little bit soft on a couple of the par fours on the on the open side of the course, but it to me felt felt like those holes were, you know, par fours as as they should be in the traditional sense of of golf where it takes two shots to the green in most cases and it's it is a drivable green and you can get those eagles but we didn't see a whole lot other than the tight wooden ones because of how short they are um speaking of this weekend at jonesboro hole what 16 yeah find yeah um and that hole especially with the ob's that were added i like the idea what you said uh, about making it an island so that you know we can't just throw it as far as we want across the water pitch it down hey good birdie type of shot if you have a decent drive uh, you, you have to be uh, aware of where you're going to land um, but that hole to me still feels like a par five it's it's a very it's an easy par five um, okay. and I think a lot of so what what really happens in our sport is we have too many courses that are structured on par threes because of size, because of everything, and they try to cram 18 holes in. So we end up with a lot of, you know, everything's birdie bowl. And um, that hole itself, hole 16, could be stretched in in a in a in a pause in, in a you know moving the tee pad back or uh, cutting the cutting the fairway to make OB left and right. And now we're talking that it is actually a legit par five where. Now, as players, we can't just unload and yeah. like, all right, I try and throw it as far as I possibly can, so I can throw it over the water. Now we're having to be like, all right, I need to play a good controlled shot, know where it's going to end up, um, and stuff like that, and that will bring us closer to par. So the course changes, like you mentioned on hole five, that's that's one that comes to mind. Where I was even talking about it, let's push it a hundred feet to the left, make the woods on the left all OB, and now. Um, now it's a par four and you're having to play a good, accurate shot. You can still throw over the water to make an easy approach for a three, but you're having to play an accurate shot. So you don't end up too tight to the woods. And now you're having to throw around and, uh, and trying to find ways to get up and down for uh, a birdie. And that'll, that'll pull it actually probably closer. We'll probably still see a lot of the same threes on the score. Um, uh, but at the same time, you're still bringing in the danger and the risk reward and stuff like that uh, to the whole. Um, so I think a lot of course changes will help us get closer to par, I think. I, I think you actually, you touched on a really good part of this conversation, which is the fact that we have, we've got courses that are, that are, that have been put in before technology changed. Um, hold on one second. If you guys want to chat real quick while this guy talks, you can go ahead. <laughs> Let's just make fun of Steve. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, he said he was going to eat a pint of ice cream. I don't know what he's doing. But <laughs> he needs just to keep keep eating. Yeah. Come on, Steve. Uh, I think you talked about something good that it's, you know, I, as getting into the sport for AMS, I think it's really good for them to have that idea of how many throws. And when we mm -hmm. talk about the men, uh, the pro side of the game, I think, you know, finding ways to really challenge golfers, I think, a, a lot more and with the with the course changes. And 
we we end up in places where players are able to shoot 30 40 down on is because because the course was designed in 1990 and the distance right. changed so uh, a course like Jonesboro is futuristic and it has the potential to only get better and that's yeah. the beauty right. of it Brad we're in the right direction of the overall growth of the sport and yeah. you know a place Maple Hill is the same way Green Mountain is the same way they're in places where they only want to make the sport better and do the right things to improve their courses to challenge not only amateurs, but and most importantly, the top pros. Mm -hmm. So yeah. are you guys, I apologize, Matt. Um, oh. but so the, the library guy, I'm in the library and they close at nine. So we've got about 15 minutes left, but, right. um, the, uh, have you guys heard of a guy named low Bibby who came up with the concept of close range par? Mm -mm. Or you familiar with close range par? Basically what he says is for a gold level player, if you can get your drive within 100 to 120 feet, or if you would expect someone to do that, um, a gold level player, then that that's what the green should be in disc golf. Mm -hmm. And then if you can get within 100 to 120 feet on your drive, then it should be a par three. So for example, if, if uh, an average MPO player, we would expect them to throw maybe 480, maybe 450 feet. Does that seem like a, a fair drive distance? 450 across the entire field, yes. Okay, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm not worried about the Simons, and I'm not worried about the, the Joe Malas. Um, yeah. We, we want the average guy. Uh, and uh, so 450, so a hole that's 550 to 570 feet, depending on features, um, should be a par three using that logic. Do you, do you guys agree with that logic in general? Matt? Um, I think... I mean, doing it based on distance is a little tough just because it's it varies so much, you know, we'll, depending we'll on presume, the Let's presume wide open, just that's that's the only factor in this. Context. Sure, if, if we're just talking wide open, then I think that's an okay way to do it. Um, I do think that, you know, it's just, it, it's just hard for me to do it solely based on distance because disc golf is really not about throwing in an open field. You know, if we did it just based on distance, then I think that, you'd have to have more qualifiers in there. Like, you know, if you're Simon and Eagle, then it's a par three. And if you're everybody else, it's a par four. Um, no, no, I, I'm going to disagree strongly on that. Uh, you have, you have to say if it's, if you're a gold level player, there's an expectation of how, how you should be able to throw. And yeah. But so to me, I think the part that I have more of a problem with is the, you said a hundred to 120 feet, but to me, you know, I, how many people are out there making 100 to 120 foot shots for birdie? To me, I think that the par should be really your drive plus, you know, you need to be able to get into circle two or whatever, you know, size we come up with and have a chance at birdie. So to me, it's, you should be able to have a chance at birdie if you're a good player. And I think that if it's, you know, 570, 580 feet, that's probably okay if, you know, if it's wide open. But if it's wooded at all, you know, that's going to get a little bit more interesting there. Uh, if, you have to go around if it's wooded, you're going to, you're going to close that number down. Of course I yeah. agree with that. But in my opinion, uh, if, if most of the people can get within, or if you would expect the average gold level player to get within a hundred, let's say a hundred feet. So a 550 foot hole, he can throw to 450 and then he's got a hundred foot upshot. That's absolutely not a par four. Mm -hmm. And it, it should be a par three. I, you could argue it's a, it's a bad distance. 
Yeah, <laughs> that's what I'd argue. <laughs> but it's but that's what happens on the edge cases, and that's where you have to figure out what what's going on here. And when you get to six hundred feet, you make that a par four. Mm-hmm. That's so that's somewhere in between there is the is the shift over. How does that sound to you, Eric? I I like that. I think the the one thing that kind of gets hyped on is um, the courses have to adapt to to the level of play that we're that we're mm-hmm. dealing with and. Um, you've been surrounding yourself on the pro tour with people who are willing to work with you and can work with you to make those changes happen. So the sport continues to move in the right direction, not like other tournaments and stuff like that, who are stuck in their ways. They're cemented in the ground. They feel as rooted as they can be. And their course is going to be the same. And people are going to come and shoot 40, 50 down on the weekend. And they're just like, that's how it's always been. We need, we, we have to we have to be able to say, all right, the sport needs to move in a better direction. But also, uh, on the counter side of that, what's wrong with us being thirty under par, forty under par? If that's the, if that's how if that that is, it's it's away from traditional golf, and it's it is more of the standard for disc golf. Mm-hmm. So, and I, go ahead. I was, gonna, I was gonna add. So obviously, we borrow par from ball golf. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one thing to me that is a big difference, like the biggest difference between disc golf and ball golf is that putting in disc golf is significantly easier. I don't think anybody would argue any other way. It's a lot easier to make a putt from 60 feet in disc golf than from, you know, 20 feet in ball golf, probably. Uh, So to me, you know, part of their people that are shooting really well, they're probably just on and they're just making their putts or more than likely they're absolutely just pinning every single shot. And they've got, you know, a two or three footer for a tap in to, to make their birdie or their par. And in disc golf, you know, it's very different where there's people that are just on fire and they're hitting 60 footers all day. And yeah. par is, ne- it's never going to be something, it's never going to be as precise of a science as ball golf is just, just because of the physics of the whole game, I think. So, so it, to me, the argument is just sort of flawed to begin with because we're basing it on a sport that is fundamentally different in a very important way, which is putting. <laughs> I, I think you nailed it right there, Matt, um, because uh, when in ball golf, when you have a par four, you're, you're throwing, you're hitting your driver then you're hitting your, your five or six iron onto the green. And then you have a 20 foot putt. You have a chance at birdie, but you're probably not going to get it. And if you can go up and down in two, then you're basically a pro uh, yeah. in disc golf. You, you on a par four, you're throwing your driver, you're throwing your fairway shot. And you're probably landing inside circle one, at least inside circle two, if you're a pro. And you basically have a 50-50 shot at birdie. Um, and that's that's the if, if it's a short par four, you, you, you want to get a birdie. If it's a long par four, you, you might not expect to get a birdie. And to Eric's point, what's wrong with 30 down, 40 down? I'd say 30 down for a three-round court, three-round tournament, 40 down for a four-round tournament. What's wrong with that? In my opinion, there's nothing wrong with that, and that should probably be our expectation. Um, when you look at if, – if we're going to design disc golf courses like ball golf courses, a ball golf course has, uh, you know, par fives, threes, and then long fours and long fives, long, long fours and short fours. Because of how our putting is versus their putting, I would shift all of those down to short par threes and long par threes and then short par fours and long par fours and maybe a couple of par fives. So I think our pars are going to be looking at 63 to 66. Mm-hmm. And we're going to be looking at shooting eight to 10 down to win. 
Yeah. And that's I like I, I like that concept. And but they, you have to be be willing to continue to work with the courses and the tournament directors and stuff like that to helping keep that standard there. Right. And like you said, the you've been finding difficulty with men's and women's tees because, you know, at, at this weekend, there was a tee that was both bad in both directions. Yeah. It too easy and it was a little too hard for the women, and we both played them. So um, continuing to work with the numbers, UDISC being involved, is, is uh, and with different tournament di directors and course designers and stuff like that to continue to allow us to have courses that work, that are legit and you know with us continuing to play the these events and having all these different players from different backgrounds with different ratings you're you're allowing for the right amount of data to be there for us to then say all right these types of par threes are good these types of par threes are not so good and and continue on down the list as far as par fives and fours go yeah. so it's awesome so i would i would continue in the direction that you're going because it's obviously on the right track. Uh, so I, I think, thank you very much, Eric. And I'm going to say, I just think uh, using the numbers that interestingly enough, that Matt's providing to us, uh, yeah. I think we'll end up getting to the point where minus nine, uh, minus 27 over a three hole, three round tournament, minus 36 for a four hole, four round tournament. Those are going to be the expected numbers that people will win with. And I, I did a quick analysis of last the last three years of, of Pro Tour events. Uh, and with the exception of Idlewild, which was 13 down, which was kind of a, an outlier because that course, maybe some of the pars were a little too tough. Um, but the number... Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think some of those pars were too tough, personally. Um, I think there were three holes, and that would, uh, that would change the scores by nine, which would put it at 22 down. Still the hardest course by par... But yep. any which way. Uh, but with the exception of that, everything was between every winning score was between 26 and 42. And that's three and four round tournaments. So there's you know some variance there. But in general, people are scoring seven to 11 down to win tournaments. And that mm -hmm. seems like about where we want to be. I like it. I like it a lot. So uh, with that, uh, Eric, I'm going to wish you a bon adieu. Thanks for um, having me. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing some stories and uh, for admitting that you shouldn't have thrown that shot. <laughs> uh, and uh, thank you so much, guys. You guys keep doing awesome things. And uh, we'll see you in San Francisco. We'll see you there. Absolutely. And at GBO. Yeah. Can't wait. Fantastic. Good night. Good night guys. Bye, guys. So, Matt, with that, uh, I just want we've just got a few minutes and uh, I wanted to just say thank you. Basically, um, you have helped me to see a dream come true. Uh, I remember our our dinner at the <laughs> Cake Factory. It was that 2015. Yes, 2015. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, and uh, I remember and it was interesting because we didn't <laughs> know each other at all. No. And I was ready to put a lot of stuff on your plate and say, this is my vision. And you said, yeah, that's our vision, too. Yeah. <laughs> you're too ahead of us. Um, and but you guys put your foot on the metal. Do, now, was Josh a part of you at that point? Yeah. Yeah. He'd been around for a little bit at that point. OK. Yeah. So 
you guys, you guys just put your foot down to the floor and said, we're going to try to make this work. And you worked out a lot of bugs and you got the thing you got, you just where it is. And I don't, I'm sure you notice, but every single podcast references <laughs> the UDISC stats. And how fun is that? Well, I can definitely say I've started to listen to a lot of more, a lot more podcasts lately than I ever have. Um, it's been really cool. Definitely. Um, you know, Josh is a huge part of this too. Can't, he's not here, but you know, he did the majority of the website, you know, almost all of that was him. I've been coming up with a lot of how everything works. He's just kind of like the architect behind everything. Um, uh, but beyond that, you know, it's been super cool to see just so many people kind of embrace it. And it was just something that we really needed. And I think it was, it happened at the right time. Um, like you said, you know, our meeting was, it was a whole, you know, serendipitous how the whole thing happened. And we had a dinner at the Cheesecake Factory and just kind of talked it over. And <laughs> I think it turned into something pretty cool that, you know, we're, we're not going to stop making better as time goes on. Absolutely. Um, yeah, very, very, very exciting where, where we were and where we are and where we're going. And uh, I don't know if it was my first or second podcast ever, but I did ask people to go to UDISC and hit the schedule button. Nice. Because one, one thing that you guys have done is you have brought, now obviously the first couple of years we were, you were just working with the Pro Tour and everybody saw how good of a thing you had created. And now you're working with the national tour and you're working with majors and you're working with, I see the, the Remax open even yep. over in Europe, the first European event to use UDISC. Um, and whether you guys know it or not, you're causing the, the premier events in disc golf to all work in one. We're all talking the same language now and it's really fun. Yeah. And uh, yeah, there you go. Meet yourself. Um, it's been it's been really really crazy to see it kind of go this quickly. Um, we were always hoping to get to this point, and I think we've kind of reached some of our goals that we set at the beginning. Um, and and really, I think we're just doing something that the sport needs, and we're doing it because we really enjoy disc golf. And I think in the end, you know, everybody hopefully can learn a little bit about the sport, and we can have discussions like this based on facts, not just based on emotions. You know, you can look at numbers and see what a par should be or look at the numbers and see maybe if the tee should be shorter or longer or you know something like that so i hope that we can continue to innovate and hopefully keep this thing going um you know there's a lot of it's, it's, it was fun to watch the masters last weekend too and kind of see how they do things and and compare it to how we do things and just be like all right you know there's 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 still a lot of room for improvement it just oh. takes money just takes money and time and data and people and hopefully disc golf will get to that point eventually where we can have, you know, the real live, you know, everything, you know, here's exactly where it landed and here's where they're exactly. standing right now. And, and that kind of stuff eventually. Well, for our budget and, uh, and what we're, what we're doing, uh, I think we're, uh, we're doing the 80, 20 principle. We're, we're getting 80% yeah. of the way there with 20% of the budget or 2% of the budget. And, uh, <laughs> and I, I thank you guys for being a part of it and working with, uh, working with me to, to, to make disc golf look and feel much more real. Awesome. We're very happy to do it. And we couldn't ask for a better person to work with. So <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, thank you very much, Matt. And uh, have a great night. Thank you. Talk to you later. And with that, we go to the listener questions. Thank you very much for the great questions this week. 
Starting off first, did he announce who won the keen drawing yet? So somebody came in late and wanted to know. And the answer is no. Well, yes, but not on the podcast. Uh, so we limit the podcast to one hour, and we did not get the keen drawing into that hour. We ended up doing a Facebook Live right after the podcast, and uh, we announced the two winners. Uh, the two winners were um, Tom Snyder and Mr. T Ain't the Winners, are the winners. There you go. So uh, thank you very much for super chatting and caring. Are the TDs ready for this kind of feedback? Uh, yes. Yes, they are. We communicate with the tournament directors after each event and talk about holes that can be improved, and then we talk about whether or not it's feasible for them to be improved. In some cases, you have just the most gorgeous T area or pin area, or it's very difficult or costly to get the equipment needed to build one T in a different spot. So... Sometimes changing tees and pin locations is not viable, but absolutely everybody is open to the conversation. Next comment back. Uh, I know it is not your concern, and although in, I enjoy watching live coverage, it kills the drive to watch the Jomez uploads. So this is an, a really interesting point, and I think it's accurate for the most part, I know that when I watch, for example, when I watch a football game, uh, if my team wins, I will watch the recap. If my team does not win, I will not watch the recap. Uh, and I have a feeling that that is where disc golf will go. Right now, there's still many more people watching the Jomez videos than the live coverage. And my goal is in the next five to ten years to have those numbers flip. And, uh, and I believe that uh, Jomez is going to continue to innovate and grow. And, uh, and we'll all be able to succeed long term as the pro side of the game continues to grow. The next comment is from Cassandra Matthews, who says, can we address getting a live stream of the FPO, even if through someone following on a cell phone? I think if you get live footage of the FPO like you do the MPO, you could see more interest. Cassandra, that's a really good point, and I'll go ahead and admit one that we have discussed. Uh, to get somebody following with a cell phone requires three things. It requires the person, it requires the cell phone, and it requires the data. The cell phone's pretty easy. The data, you're going to easily blow through your 15 gigabytes a month, so you're going to have to get a an industrial-sized plan. So you're looking at a few hundred dollars a month for the data, at least. And then uh, you need a person. Um, we could ask each tournament to provide a staff member, but then that takes away from the spotters, and that takes away from all of the other staff members. And truthfully, the way disc golf is right now, we are, we are limited on staff at many of these events. So Realistically, to do this, the tour would need to hire someone to do that, and that would become their job. I could see doing that. And, well, and then so so in addition to three hundred dollars a month or five hundred dollars a month or whatever the data is, there's another several thousand dollars a month for a person. Um, so that's a to do that for the next seven events. We're realistically talking about a ten thousand dollar budget, and. Frankly, we don't have the 
the partners lined up to pay for that. So I don't see a way to make that happen consistently. The question becomes, if we don't do this consistently, should we do it inconsistently? Imagine if we had women's coverage, like a, someone walking around with a cell phone doing live coverage of the women at San Francisco and Utah, and then we didn't have it at Great Lakes Open. Uh, I don't know if that would be, if it would be better to not start or if it would be better to not, uh, to do it inconsistently. Uh, I'd love feedback on that, as a matter of fact. So that's the, that's the dilemma that we're in. Number one, it's hard to pay for to make it so it is consistent. And number two, if we are relying on volunteers to do it, we may not be able to do it all the time. So thank you, Cassandra. We have thought about that. We are thinking about this. Uh, the women's side of the game is very important to continue to push, and we are looking for ways that we can do so. So Face asks, how on earth can you guys afford to go on tour like you do? I wonder what percentage of income comes from sponsorships versus actual winnings. Uh, this I, is obviously a question for Eric Oakley and probably every other touring pro. Uh, in general, I would consider that winnings is probably 50% or less of the money coming in for each player. Um, people like Eric and Tina who run side events probably make the lion's share of their money at those events. What the Pro Tour is giving to them is the, uh, is the stage on which they can make their name so that when they hold these side events, people are interested in going to see them. So it's uh, definitely both are required, and I think that it's easy to, to see they're making less than half their money in actual winnings on tour, and they're making the lion's share doing, doing other things like uh, getting sponsorships and running clinics and things like that. It is also valid to recognize that they are not making big bank. A lot of professional disc golfers are putting themselves out there and giving it their best shot. And we need to give them as much support and praise as possible so that we can continue to see them year after year. Thank you very much to all of the touring pros who are helping to make the Pro Tour possible. Then to close this out, we had three nice comments about par, which was good because that's how we ended the show. The first comment, uh, who cares? Lee strokes wins. Calling it par or birdie means nothing. The next comment, par is actually everything. If you ever want to get the general population to watch the sport. And the third comment, Par is extremely important. How does the viewer know what is a good or bad hole? Events with 40 to 50 down are trash and unwatchable. Addressing the last one first, it, I, in my opinion, if, a, if an event is 40 to 50 down, uh, it doesn't change how watchable the, the hole or the course or the, the tournament is. All, all it changes is the scoring. Um, but if it's an exciting, if you have an exciting 400-foot hole onto an island green and they're calling it a par four and people are, are eagling it, it, it's still a really exciting shot. Just too bad that there's, that the par is wrong. Um, but I'll, I'll agree that par is important, but I don't think it makes it unwatchable if par is incorrect. 
I'll also, the, going back to the first one, at least strokes win, calling a par birdie means nothing. I disagree with that as well because, in my opinion, I want to be able to compare event across event. And if someone wins an event with a minus 33 and someone wins the next event with a minus 22, I want to be able to just conceptually look at those and say, wow, the, the guy who won with a minus 33 probably shot better over those rounds than the guy who shot the minus 22. So, uh, and to that point, I'll agree with Lake Marshall Disc Golf. Par is important because it gives the general population a yardstick where they can measure how people are doing. The question is, do we need our disc golf yardstick to measure up very accurately with the golf yardstick? And uh, based on our conversation tonight, I think we came to the conclusion that we should perhaps just accept the fact that minus nine is a really good score, and that's what people are going to get if they're going to win pro tour events, minus nine each round. So a three-round three event, you're going to looking at minus 27, and a four-round event, you're looking at minus 36. And that's okay. Just like life, we need to be accepting and understanding. And uh, I think that's a good starting point and a good ending point for this podcast. So I'll turn it back over to myself to finish it out. Everybody have a good night. So that is uh, Pro Tour Talk with Steve Dodge, the April 11th edition. Hope you guys had a good night and we will see you next time. 